Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727 541 1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727 541 1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. be your boyfriend trying to be funny. Some joke. The Fancy Chicks and their leather-jacketed road devils whose flaming dates burn up the highway. Dick Hartunian, a new star who seethes with longing for the girl he wants for his own. That creep opens his mouth, I'll flatten him. You start a riot now and she'll never talk to you. Arnie wants me. And Arnie will fight half the world to get me. And you want to know something else? He's not afraid to show it. Lee Snowden, a blonde vixen who tempts, teases, and torments, and risks the explosion that's bound to come. I say it's up to us to get him and get him good. Before we're finished, you're gonna admit you killed him. I told you I didn't kill him. Beaten to his knees by a vengeful mob, he takes all they dish out to prove he's top man behind the wheel of the hottest car on the road. Now they're on the downhill stretch of the course, which is the last portion of the course before we go back into the start and finish straight. And they're really battling it off for the lead. Jim Lawrence and Arnie Crawford, still neck and neck, still trying to run him off the road. And now they're coming into the straight. They'll be in the straight any minute, ladies and gentlemen. We want to see who's going to be in the lead. And we find out that it's Jim Lawrence and John Graham, and Arnie Crawford is going to try to squeeze through. And he's going to try to do it, and he's doing it, and he made it. Rabbit out of my hat. Again? Nothing up my sleeve. Presto! <laughs> no doubt about it. I gotta get another hat. Now here's something we hope you'll really like.
Hey, this is Jimmy Shine from SoCal Speed Shop and the host of Car Warriors. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't touch that dial. Welcome, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tamp Talk, 1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed, missed any of our past shows, 556 now, I think, don't forget to check out our archive page or Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Good evening there, Tommy. Good evening there, Robert. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. Well, I guess you can official. It's official. You can take your mask off now. Uh-huh. No, more, no more bandito, man. But uh, the COVID-19 in the COVID-20, and now we're in the COVID-21. So whatever. It's all BS. I wanted to ask you, did you see the pace car at the NASCAR race this weekend? No. Was there a NASCAR race? Uh, Talladega, as a matter of fact. Oh, well, that's usually a good race. That's a big super speedway. So the pace car was an all-electric Mustang. 2021 Mach E, I think they call it. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I had to take the van in for service the other day and uh, up there at the Ford dealership, and they had one sitting there, and I just could not get myself. I just can't wrap myself around this E, whatever this stuff is, you know, battery-powered. It was funny. They had a couple of uh, racers, you know, they did a little segment on it, Yeah, and they got in the car, and a guy goes, I don't hear anything. It, it was running, but they couldn't hear anything. And they got it going. He said it felt a little different, but. Well, I drove a Tesla. Uh, I drove the very first one they had. And then I drove the uh, one with the, the S with the ludicrous thingy. And I will tell you, but it's no secret. It's an electric motor. And you mash it, and it goes, boosh, duh. Okay, you know, it's not an internal combustion engine where you got a whole bunch of miscellaneous parts going around. You just got a little tube with an armature and a bunch of windings and some feels and a couple magnets, and, you know, that's about it. But it takes a lot of batteries, which means they got to dig up a lot of earth to get a lot of lithium or whatever else they put in there with some sort of a natural resource, supposedly. That's what they tell us. Then there's the matter of disposing it. Then there's the matter of the infrastructure. Then there's the matter of, well, uh, you know, how much does it cost and how much is our power company going to, you know, whack us for that and all the other stuff. Then there's the matter of, well, wait a minute, we got to do something about road taxes. We pay that on gasoline. Listen, the jury's still out on it. I think everybody, it's just a craze, a fad. I know they said that about horseless carriages 100 and some odd years ago, but there are other, and I've mentioned this before, other alternatives besides electric okay you just and now that porsche has been able to and with the you know which, which has been around for over 90 years you know the technology to come out with some you know concoction that suffices as internal i mean fuel for internal combustion engines in a laboratory but they can they, they can make all kinds of synthetic stuff there's hydrogen there's you know obviously we have the hybrid cars which is little gas and electric and i mean there's just all diesel diesel's getting better than it's ever been i mean i'm not going to go there because i'm just not excited about it but that's just me. But on that note, since we're talking about internal combustion engines, and today happens to be the 27th of April, which is Happy 427 Day, Ford 427. Yeah, if you got yesterday was 26, so Happy 426 to the Mopar guys. Happy 427 to the 
Pontiac, I mean, not Pontiac, the, the Chevrolet guys, the Bowtie guys, but mainly the Ford guy. And tomorrow's 428, and that's happy Ford 428 day, and happy Pontiac 428. And tomorrow happens to be Jay Leno's birthday. And uh, I talked to Jay a couple days ago, and uh, we should be able to round him up and get him to come on our show sometime in maybe June, because he's just got, he's slammed. He's got TV shows uh, back on, is it MSNBC, CNBC? He's on there. He's got uh, Last Man Standing. I think he's doing that with Tim Allen. He's got a game show that he's doing now. I didn't even know about it. He told me about that the other day. He's got, uh, obviously, uh, Jay Leno's Garage. I mean, you talk, he's just a cool guy. He really, really, really is just a cool guy. And he's very thankful, very appreciative, and you know, and if you've ever met him, he really is down to earth. He's pretty cool. I, and I, and I, my hat's off to this gentleman because at the car shows, whether you're at Amelia, well, I haven't seen him at Amelia, but I mean, whether you're at Monterey, Pebble, you know, that area, if you're at uh, SEMA, uh, if you're at uh, any of those major events, I'm trying to think where all I see him. You know, he's always really, really cool and talks to everybody. He'll stop, take a picture, um, talk with you for a few minutes. I mean, he really spreads himself pretty thin. Jay Leno is is truly a, just a, a one-of-a-kind gentleman and a scholar. I mean, he really is. I mean, he's just the quintessential car guy. He really is. I'm just, you know. Anyway, uh, flacarshows.com if you want to find out where all the car shows are. And don't forget, the 20th through the 23rd of this month. No, May. Yeah, we're almost into May. Uh, is uh, Amelia Island. So, hey, we got a great show for you lined up this evening. Got a special guest, a very special guest, an alumni, a legendary guest coming on. Tommy, roll the uh, first song, and we'll be right back. Here's a little Dick Dale. Dick Dale was on a show a few years ago. Super guitarist, man. Surf guitar man. Hey, you're tuned in to Nostalgia Weekend Cars. Don't touch that doll. I'll be right back. Brews in Tampa Bay at Dunedin Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunedin Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunedin Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at dunedinbrewery.com. 
Looking for car shows? Then look no further than flacarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com. All right, we're back to tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And, uh, hey, yeah, we got some musical guests coming on uh, probably within the next uh, month or so. Going to do some sort of a little specials here. And because um, we had George Grun on two times because he's just a really interesting guy for all you guitar guys out there. And uh, this gentleman coming on tonight is going to be pretty cool. But, you know, so I was going to mention, make a comment because Tommy was uh, lip syncing through the mirror there, uh, or the window, I should say, two-sided window. And uh, and uh, Dick Dale was a left-handy, and he played. He literally played his guitar upside down too, and um, so it was pretty cool. And he strung it differently, and uh, so I mean he left it the way it is. He just played the left-handed guitar, and I don't know somehow that's how he played. But he was he was really really a tremendous guy, and I, we we kind of miss him because he was a cool guy. Big shout out to uh, B.J. Thomas too. He was on our show a couple uh, months back. And um, we wish him the best of luck. Our prayers are for him because he's got stage four lung cancer. So we didn't really want to hear that. We heard that from his PR team. So uh, I just want everybody to you know, kind of say a prayer for him. Super guy, an amazing voice. And you stop to think about it. Voices out there like Tom Jones had an amazing voice. Elvis Presley, you know, no, no, no mistaking it. Um, Dean Martin, no mistaking his voice. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. Even you know Frank Sinatra, guys like that. You know, well, um, some of these guys out there got got a very very unique voice. You know, women as well. And, um, but BJ Thomas, I mean, uh, just, you know, cool. In fact, I heard uh, raindrops falling on my head when I was rolling in here today because it was on WTAN on our, uh, what's that thing we have? Music of your life. Anyway, hey, Tommy, why don't you go ahead and fire up that Ray Didio and let's go ahead and call our guest and get him on the line because this, we'll probably have to do more than one segment on this, uh, with this gentleman because he's cool. Speaking of, uh, badass guitar guys, how about a little Link Ray and Rumble? Yeah, this is one of those songs that uh, everybody goes, whoa. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Rating Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back.
Kadarian here, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and it's time to introduce our uh, special alumni guest for this evening. This gentleman is labeled the king of customs. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show, the one, the only, the king of customs, Gene Winfield. Gene, how are you this evening? I'm fine, thank you. So you're out there in the middle of the Mojave Desert. Now, I was reading up on you a little bit, and you grew up kind of, you're from Missouri, but you're you born in Missouri, but you grew up in Modesto. Well, I'm from Marin County, so we're kind of like right across from each other. I'm in, over in San Rafael. But uh, interesting story there. So you started out with your brother working behind your house in a chicken coop. Right. And uh, and and started with custom cars. And uh, tell tell us about some of the guys that were your early influence. It's hard to believe because you've been around for so long, you know. And I mean, we're going to get into a lot of the stuff, and we may even have to do two parts. But you've been around for a very very long time. It's hard to believe that anybody actually influenced you, but there were some people that did so. So tell us about those people. <clears throat> well, I can't remember their names right now. <laughs> I. Uh... You know, that was a long time ago. Well, Dick Bertolucci and uh, Harry uh, Westergaard. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Harry, I looked up to Harry Westergaard. He was doing some fine work. Him and uh, Dick Bertolucci were doing uh, doing some stuff together. Uh-huh. And uh, <clears throat> so they were definitely uh, doing a fine job. And, and so I, I uh, you know, I watched them and uh, seen what they were doing and so forth and and started copying it, of course. <clears throat> what were some of the early techniques that you used back then? Well, uh, you know, Harry Westergaard was uh, metal finishing things and uh, and then using lead. Uh-huh. So I, I started using lead because of him and uh, stuff like that. So uh, all, the early, all the early stuff was all, all done with lead. Okay. Now, now let's jump forward. And you were in Japan for a few years, and you... Yeah, a couple, couple of years. Yeah, and you went back in the Army, and you were in charge of basically like a hobby shop. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, uh, I went over. I went, uh, went in the Army, and uh, they needed cooks. So they put me in a cook school, and so I was a cook. So I went over to Japan as a cook. Uh-huh. And then I started uh, working on some stuff, and... And doing stuff with a hobby shop, and then then they um, <clears throat> they had uh, authorization in the battalion that I was in to have a a hobby shop right there on the base. So then I I started running the hobby shop, and um, that was that was good and a lot of fun. And so we we did model airplanes and and you know just a little bit of everything out of a hobby shop. And I did leather tooling and copper tooling and. And then I started teaching it. I started teaching uh, copper tooling and and leather tooling and stuff like that. So that was great. It was good uh, good experience and had a lot of fun. Okay. And then there was a little Japanese guy that you had work for you, and he you he showed you a couple of techniques. Tell us some about some of those techniques because oh, yeah. he kind of fine tuned yeah. your artwork hired, art a little bit. Yeah, we hired a Japanese body man and. We couldn't hardly pronounce his name, so we called him Hammer Happy. <laughs> so his nickname was Hammer Happy, uh-huh. and um, and of course uh, he really knew how to work metal and and shape metal and and things like that. So I I did learn a lot from him, and uh, 
So when I came home from Japan, I, I knew how to work metal. When I went over there, I I was uh, I was you know I was doing some of it, and I was letting and and stuff before I went over there. But then I actually learned how to work metal, and there, there's quite a difference between you know just filling, welding up and filling a thing with lead or, or plastic, and and as far as making making the metal shape, shaping the metal and working it. There's quite a difference. Now, I was. This is a question I have because I've I've had some. Uh, it's funny because we you know some of your friends have uh, been on my show. Alex Exidius, uh, Peach Porcelain's on my show. Jimmy Shine, um, people like that. And um, but some of these people are telling me that uh, Chip Foos, people like that, some of the modern day guys. But they say there's a style. There's a st- there's a Northern California style, a Southern California style. There's a neat you know like the Alexander Brothers out in Michigan. They had a style. There's a Midwest style. Uh, Daryl Starbird's been on a show. He has a style. What's your thoughts on that? And how's that style? Is that just is it in your head? Is it actually a geographic style, or is it just something that's uh, that that comes out of your mind? I mean, you know, comes out of your you know it's, thought uh, process. Yeah, you 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 pick up on it. Um, you develop you develop it. You know, pick up and develop it. And it's a matter of uh, a lot of work and a lot of practice. Uh, you you keep working metal over and over and over. So you you do pick up a little bit of a style, but. The, the styles don't vary that much between one person and another because when you're working metal, you're you're working it. Okay. You know, you're, you're fabricating or you're shaping you're shaping metal. So uh, there's slightly different processes to do it, but the end result is the same. You you shape the metal, and and the next guy shapes it, and and uh, so it's basically almost the same. Uh, you know, project. What What were some of the things in customizing cars in the early days that kind of inspired you? What was there Was there a goal in your mind when you were customizing car? When you look at a car, like for example, you did the um, the fifty six Mercury um, Jade Idol. Okay, Jade that, Idol. Yes, that's the car that kind of gave you a lot of fame because that car was very special at the time. What was the inspiration for that car? Well, the uh, the owner gave me the car and and said, here, I got X number of dollars and you do what you want. So I started working on it and then I put some of my time and money in it uh, and, and I sectioned it and, um, you know, did all kinds of let it everything and it was it was a great fabulous car, and then it got wrecked. We we had it on tour. I had it on tour, and and then I told the owner that I would uh, uh, guarantee it. I would insure it myself, and so it got it got flipped upside down. Oh, yeah, upside down uh, trailer on top of it. So then I had to put a new roof on it and and re- rebuild it on my 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 money. Okay. And uh, which, which I did, and then I repainted it different, of course, and, and just just to be different, you know. But the first uh, first paint job was very very radical, very radical paint job, unbelievable. And I blended it, and I, you know, had all different shades of greens and and blackish green and stuff like that. So that was uh, it was the most radical car around at that time. Now you were you kind of pioneered 
um, working with with uh, candy colors and fading. Fading and blending was kind of like your your right. um, signature yeah, yeah, paint job. So tell us how that pro and that was a, you discovered it by accident, right? Well, partly, but I uh, I was painting some motorcycles first, and a motorcycle was pretty small and easy to to blend and uh, and uh, you know add color and so forth and so I started doing that and I I painted several several motorcycles and and then I uh, I used that same technique on a car so the very first car that I did a radical blend on was probably the Jade Idol uh -huh. and it was the most radical paint job ever on the planet and uh, so I. What I was able to do is, is use my creativity. You know, I would I would start painting and then I would add to it and and change it and add to it and and um, so I ended up blending the colors and and uh, you know made it very very pretty. So that's that's how it happened. It's just a, a matter of I had the project there. I had the car car I was painting, and I was able to do whatever I want. And so I, I ended up with a very nice blended paint job. What were some of the other uh, what, uh, what were some of the other cars that you kind of started customizing? Some of the other ones that they now that particular car, if I remember correctly, didn't that win a special award? Was that a Grand National Grand Roadster uh, Grand National Roadster car at one time? Yes, yes it won it, it won uh, awards all over. We we took it on a tour back east and and. Um, and every place it went, it uh, it got best of paint, and it got sweepstakes, and and best interior, and just all kinds of trophies. Sometimes two or three trophies in the same show, and uh, so it was a a real nice thing. Then on the way back from that trip, from that from that uh, tour, uh, they they flipped it upside down. Oh, and uh, and then I had to put a new roof on it, and 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 go through it again. So then I painted it different so that it would be a different car. See, back in those days, you could show a car for a year, maybe maybe two years, and then then you couldn't show it anymore. They, the shows didn't want it if it stayed the same. So you had to repaint it or change the car. Sometimes we would add uh, customizing, or maybe, maybe the second year we might chop the top where it was not chopped on the first year. So we would definitely modify it and do all kinds of changes so that we could show it again and we did that for you know for many many customers because they wanted to keep showing their car i was reading somewhere that uh george barris worked for you at one point in time it was kind of like an understudy no no it's not true not true okay george and i never ever worked together in any way no, he was doing his thing, and he had people. See, George himself was not a real body man. Uh, he had people doing it for him. Okay. And, uh, now, Sam, his brother, was was different. He was a, a, a body man. He was a creativity, and um, he did uh, all the early customs that that George showed off. Well, the body work was all done by Sam, his brother, and then... Uh, and then his brother got tired of of him doing the work and George getting the credit. <laughs> he he uh, he quit the the partnership and moved back to back to Sacramento. They were they were both from 
from Sacramento. Oh, okay. Sam moved back to Sacramento and and started doing other things. He did some teaching and and various things, but uh, and and he never never really uh, stayed into the custom body work uh, real heavy like he was doing. Okay. Um, your first car was a 29 Model A, and then your next car was, I think, a 30, 30 or 31 Model A Roadster, because yeah, a Roadster was the end thing. A 30 Model A Roadster. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about that car, and then is that the car that kind of got you into, uh, like, racing? Yeah, a little bit. I, I was doing some street racing with that car, but I uh, see, with that car, I was able to... Uh, uh, by the, by this time, I was going to some other cities, you know, maybe Sacramento and and Oakland and and uh, different cities, and and I was seeing some nice roadsters that were built or being built, you know, and so I I learned a lot by that, and I I kept changing my roadster. I changed it many times, and uh, I put a thirty two grill on it and molded that in and. And then I put solid hood sides, and and I changed the bumpers uh, three or four, probably three or four times. And I kept, you know, just kept working at it and playing and, and changing it, and um, and I kept getting ideas and and uh, you know modifying it. And so that that got me into the custom field a lot. Um, I was perhaps working on my car, and then. Uh, friends would come over and they say, "Well, here, how about molding off my trunk lid or my hood ornament or whatever?" And so then I started doing uh, little things for for friends and and customers, and and so then I, that's what led me into actually having the full-on custom shop. Okay, and there was first called what? Wendy's Wendy's Custom, right? Wendy's Custom yeah, Shop. Wendy's Custom Shop. That's true. Okay, that's neat. Tell us. Uh, my, my nickname was Wendy, and and so that's why I called it Wendy's Custom Shop. Okay, all right. So can I call you Wendy? Yeah, sure. Okay, Wendy, great. Um, you started racing like around 1949. That was probably after you came back from the, the service, right? And then yeah. you became friends with Alec Exidius and uh, Don Spencer. Those are two very legendary names. Yeah. Uh, in in Southern California, in 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 Rodding, and then uh, obviously out at El Mirage and uh, on the Dry Lake. So tell us about that experience. Yeah, well, the um, the first time I uh, was going to go to El Mirage, I had a 27T Roadster, and I uh, I towed it to L.A. and uh, in in towing it uh, to L.A. going up the grapevine. Which is a you know a mountain mountain range uh, from from uh, the valley from the San Joaquin Valley going into the L.A. area. So I was towing it and and I I didn't like how slow. I had a brand new uh, a 48-49 Ford pickup and uh, it, it had a V8 in it, but it was still very very slow in in pulling this roadster. So I got in the roadster, fired it up, and so I'm driving the roadster, and another guy's driving my pickup. So I, I pushed the pickup, so to speak, up that up that mountain. So I was, you know, going uphill probably 60, 70 miles an hour. Oh wow! We passed a, a, a you know, 
I, of course, I, I'm in the roadster, and I couldn't see exactly who was ahead. But anyway, so we we snuck by this uh, highway patrol, and they just looked at us and laughed, you know. And we just, man, we motored up that hill, and it was beautiful. Huh. And then uh, then I went on to, uh, I had I had been buying a few parts from Alex Exidius at SoCal Speed Shop. So I went to SoCal Speed Shop uh, to to say hello to Alex and introduce myself because I hadn't met him. I had only talked to him over the phone. And so I went there and met him. And, and then Don Spencer was working for him. Don Spencer was a nice, a very nice craftsman and and uh, doing some nice, nice metal work and, and leading and, and so forth. So I met him, and that was really a great, uh, great experience just to meet him. And um, so then <clears throat> I took, I towed the roadster over to SoCal, um, not SoCal, but um, um, Wally Parks had started, um, had started the, uh, oh, what do they call it? Um, well, he started Hot Rod Magazine, right? Yeah, and, yeah. But and then the, and the drag park. There was a racetrack, racetrack part there, wasn't it? The the, the racing, the SCTA. S, yes. Southern California Timing, Timing Association. Association, right. So he had a little office, little building, and so I towed the roadster up in front of this building, and before I could hardly get it shut off, uh, he hit the door and come out to take a look, and he was amazed at, at how low my roadster was but still on top of the frame rails. So I had Z'd the frame in the back, big radical Z, and then the front was a smooth Z'd frame, and I, I sculptured the frame. It was a Model A frame, and I sculptured it and rounded the edges so it looked like a factory factory job, the way it swooped, you know, and uh. made this nice, nice, beautiful S-curve to, to lower the front. And so he was pretty amazed, and... Uh, and at how low it was, and still on top of the rail. So I signed up, and then went to the uh, El Mirage for the first time. I had never, never been there, and never, never ran a car there. And so when I was talking to Don Spencer at SoCal Speed Shop, I I asked him. I said, "Well, how fast do you think I can go?" And so he asked me the gear ratio and the tire size and all that. He says, "Oh, he says you you, you ought to go 120." Well, I was uh, going to be happy with 105, 110, or anything like that. And so I went to the uh, El Mirage, and, and he says, by the way, he says, uh, he says, keep your foot in it. If you hit a hit a bump or something, don't, don't worry about it. Just keep your foot in it. Well, I went out there, and I hit a bump, and it scared the hell out of me. <laughs> so I backed off. And then it made me mad, so I put my foot back in it, and I turned 112 very first time. So then I got right back in line, didn't change anything, nothing whatsoever, no jets or nothing. And um, and then I ran it again, and that, that time I turned 121, uh, 96, I think, almost 122. And I was extremely happy with that, very, very happy. And uh, that was my first time to ever run the, the lakes. And then, of course, after that, I run the lakes and, and Bonneville and everything. Many, many, many times, and I had the coupe. I built the the T coupe. Yeah, tell us about the coupe because that was a, a very low profile car, and that surprised everybody, didn't it? Yes, yes. I chopped it twelve inches and slanted slanted the windshield back, and 
everything and, and channeled it. And of course, it was very, very low to the ground, extremely low. And uh, so I uh, I rented it at drags and, and all around. And then I, I took it to Bonneville, the uh, first time I ever ran Bonneville. And um, I turned, uh, oh, let me see, I turned 139. Yeah, I turned 139 the first, first, very first run. I uh, I backed off and you know did 112 and then I and then I did 120 and you know so I I uh, gradually got it up there pretty good and I was very very happy with that and uh, and it was a small engine it was small it was a flathead but very small it was only 60 over bore 60 thousandth over bore stock stroke. And so it was uh, 239, or uh, uh, oh, I forget now. So anyway, um, it was a, it was a pretty small flathead. A lot of a lot of the bigger ones, you know, the the three eighths by three eighths, what we call the three eighths by three eighths flathead, and that's board board three eighths and stroke three eighths, and um, that's uh, 296 cubic inch, and the stock flathead is uh, two. 239 I think and uh, so anyway I was uh, I was very happy with the fact that it was only 60 overbore and uh, and stock stroke and so I I did I did all kinds of I did I set records and and I beat guys with big engines the the 3 8 by 3 8 is 296 cubic inch and I beat a lot of those guys and I, I just had a good combination. I had a good, a good camshaft and everything, and and I just happened to to work it into a good combination. You know, the heads and the manifold and everything. And I ran it with um, three carburetors, and I ran it with four carburetors, and and all all kinds of racing. I had a lot of fun, lots of fun. And I was I was the guy to everybody wanted to beat. You know, everybody wanted to beat me, and and. Um, Maybe some of them did, but but I beat a lot of guys with, with bigger engines. I just happened to have a good combination, and it ran really well. Were you running um, uh, Iskandarian cams by any chance back in those days? Uh, I, I ran an Esky at one time, and then I and I went to uh, Winfield cams. Now Winfield cams were were very smooth. They would idle. I see, like a, an Esky four hundred four flathead cam idled really rough and a lot of guys would put them in their engines even though they had a stock engine they put that cam in there so the engine would idle rough and and it sounded really mean (laughs) and and they did that on purpose but then um but the winfield winfield cam was very smooth and uh and you you look at the camshaft compared to to the esky um the the lobes were real smooth and rounded and you, you, and the and the esky cam was uh, the lobes were very flat. They would come up and they would just flat, and then drop off again. And uh, so nobody could figure out uh, the windshield cam had a very, very good top end, a very very good high top end. And so I used windshield cams over and over, and uh, had a lot of good luck with them. And uh, so I beat all kinds of guys with. With bigger engines. Now, some of the names that were kind of popular back then, Vic Edelbrock Sr. was out there racing in those days. Did you ever run up against him? 
uh, I was there, but I didn't actually run against him. I was in a different class. Oh, okay. But I, I met him, and I was there uh, when he was running. And, um, and of course, I met all those people. I met Eski and, and um, Edelbrock and, you know, all of those people I met and uh, just casually uh, maybe got introduced to him or whatever. And then some of them later I became friends with, but some of them I didn't. But anyway, it was it was a great experience, and I was I've been so happy that I was able to take part in all of that. Well, now back in those days, to even to I mean, I, I used to do a lot of street racing in the seventies, and in the seventies, I mean, you still had your Ford versus Chevy versus Mopar thing, but still there was a car camaraderie. Was there a real back in those days, kind of like the infancy of all this hot rodding? Was there a real strong camaraderie between you car guys? Oh yeah, there's quite a bit, sure, but. Uh, Chevy against Ford. <laughs> there was all kinds of, uh, you know, uh, Ford guys who just, you know, poo-poo the, the Chevy. <laughs> Vice versa, you know, they, oh yeah, definitely very, very high, um, you know, um, uh, feelings and whatever about between Ford and Chevy. All right, so then, and then you got married, and then you quit racing, and then you focused more on the... Uh the car customizing, right? Yes, that's true. Uh, my wife at the time didn't want me to race, and so I said, "Okay, I won't." So I quit racing, and uh, I was still, I was still build, building some engines for other people, and um, I was still building the flathead engines. And I port and relieved many, many flathead blocks. I uh, I had a um, a flex shaft that I bought from Sears. And uh, and the, the Craftsman tools were uh, exchangeable. You know, you wear them out or whatever. You take them in, they give you a new one. So I went through a whole bunch of uh, flex shafts that I that I got from Sears, and uh, so I did a lot of port and relieving on the uh, on the engines, and I made the ports big square ports instead of oval, and uh, so I uh, had a lot of fun and did, did a lot of engine building and um, and so then then little by little I started getting into the customizing you know guys would bring over they'd say here mold off my hood or my trunk and they started doing that and then little by little I I got I dropped the engine building and and started doing just custom work and I was of course letting everything and uh, so I did all kinds of uh, creativity and all kinds of custom, custom body work. Though, and now, are, it, it, while this is all going on, are you still up in Modesto, or is, had you moved south yes. yet? Yes, no, I was all in Modesto for many, many years. And from Modesto, I moved to Phoenix. Uh, I went with AMT uh, Speed and Custom Division, and I ran that facility in Phoenix for two years, and that was, and then. Then that was over in 69, so then I moved back to L.A. in 69, and I've been in L.A. area ever since. Prior prior to that, I was in Modesto, see, and so... Um, <clears throat> so yeah, uh, uh, it's funny, you, we're talking about Modesto a little bit now. The, the movie uh, American Graffiti was filmed in partially in Modesto, Marin County, yeah, the Vallejo area. It was about Modesto and partly about me. I had the only chopped Merc in Modesto at the time, 
and so they had a chop perk in the in the movie, and uh, so it was kind of kind of about me, but um, but it was uh, it was filmed in uh, 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 forget now above, above San Francisco. Uh, he found what, what it was is the the little city that he used up there, Petaluma, uh, Petaluma, Petaluma, yeah. Petaluma. It's it, it had stayed early where Modesto was was growing and and getting too too modern. See, mm-hmm. so the main street in Modesto got got too modern for him, and so that's why he he picked that city, Petaluma, to to film it. But it was about Modesto. Yes. Yeah. So let me ask you this: Did you, because you've done some film cars, did you have any influence on any of the cars that were used in the movie American Graffiti? No, they uh, they kind of copied my my cars, and and like I say, it was partly about me, but uh, but I didn't actually furnish any of those vehicles. Okay. And, uh, then later I started doing uh, uh, movie cars, and I did all kinds of stuff. I did. Um, American Graffiti, and I mean uh, uh, Blade Runner, and and, and uh, you know all kinds of cars. Um, well, you did some early stuff, and I and and, and we're kind of jumping around here a little bit, but this, that's okay. Um, you did for when you after you left AMT, you kind of became familiar with some people in the Hollywood scene. So then you did some car. You did the 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 Sunbeam Tiger that was used on on Get Smart, the Reactor. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I did Get Smart, and I did Man from Uncle. Man from Uncle, yeah, and uh, <clears throat> you know all kinds of commercials i got in for a while i for 18 months straight i did nothing but commercials just all kinds of gasoline commercials shell oil and you know all kinds of i furnished cars and and uh, built cars for, for just a ton of commercials um you did there was a thing back in the day, and I guess it was a promotional thing in 62, 63, somewhere around there, Ford, something about the lively set. You guys, and it was you and a couple other guys that built some custom cars for that yeah. uh, tour. Tell us about that. Yeah, the uh, oh, first they had the Ford custom car caravan. Okay. And and that had, uh, you know, me and Barris and, and the, the Alexander brothers and Christian Berry and all. All of us uh, customizers were, were they would they would give us a brand new Ford or or something and we'd customize it for for that uh, caravan and then uh, and later we went from that I stayed in it and and started doing commercials and all kinds of movie work and <clears throat> so the the designers uh, in New York. Uh, they they picked up on on my name, see, because I had done a few things. So then they would call me up, and they would say, "Well, can you do this or that to a car for a commercial?" And I said, "Sure." And then after I say sure, then I have to figure out how I can do it. <laughs> what had to be done, you know? But I did all kinds of of uh, crazy commercials, just unbelievable. Now. Like so everything you did was pretty much automotive, correct? Or did you do some motorcycles too? Uh, a little bit of motorcycles, but mostly mostly automotive. Did you ever do anything? Did you ever work with Von Dutch? 
No, I never did. I met him uh, a few times, and we were, we became uh, minor friends, but I didn't actually do any work with him. Okay. Um, on the uh, TV set, Star Trek, the car, the one car that you did, which was featured in the movie TV show um, Bewitched, which was the reactor, but then again, that car showed up in Star Trek as well, right? Yes. And then yeah, we did. you worked on the Galileo as well, right? Yeah, I built the Galileo for Star Trek, yeah. Okay. I designed it. You designed it? Um, yeah, they, they, the art director had a beautiful design, and uh, I went to them, and and uh, we were, I was with AMT at the time, and, and we, had, we worked a deal where we would build the vehicle at, at no charge to the studio, and then and then AMT had the rights to build it as a as a model kit, and so we did that several times. But uh, but I uh, <clears throat> I uh, designed a lot of stuff, and and uh, a lot of times the the art director would give me a beautiful design, absolutely fabulous design. But then they wanted me to build the vehicle in 30 days or 40 days and I couldn't build that that design it was just too uh, too hard to build too complex and so forth too many curves and so then then they say okay you design something and bring it to us and if, if we like it we'll okay it and then you go ahead and build it so I did that several times uh, I would design something that I could make out of flat flat sides or flat sheet metal instead of the beautiful rounded shapes that they had designed. And so that's what happened uh, over and over. Uh, I was able to change the design to my design um, so that I could move it fast, you know? Okay. Was there a gentleman by the name of Tweedy that worked with you for a while on uh, on any of the Galileo projects? Yeah, Tweedy was a... Um, a painter and a pinstriper mostly uh-huh. did a little body work, but mostly he was a, a pinstriper and painter. And uh, yes, he did work with me, and, and we did some nice stuff together. And then uh, uh, we moved to Phoenix, and then and then I moved out of Phoenix back to L.A. And he stayed over there. He stayed in Phoenix, and then he did some stuff with Von Dutch. Okay. In in Phoenix, Von Dutch lived in Phoenix. Okay. How did you end up in the Mojave Desert? Well, I needed uh, space. Okay. I was, uh, I was in North Hollywood, and um, and then I was in uh, Canoga Park. I was in Canoga Park for 20-some years, and um, then the city uh, aced me out. The city, uh, they found a loophole in, in uh, what I was doing, and, and I had went to the city first and said, here's what I do. And I want a, a permit to do this. And they said, well, in L.A., you don't need a permit to run a body shop. So I ran the body shop for 20 years or whatever. And then and then uh, I moved, you know, moved. I uh, forget now. But anyway, um, I, uh, I was doing this creative body work and... Uh, and they 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 were okay. They left me alone, and uh, for a lot of times, and so it all worked out. And then you moved out to the desert, then, right? 
Yeah, well, that's right. I sort of say, so I needed space. Okay. And uh, and I had a, uh, I got a divorce and and um, gave her a lot of stuff and and then I um, had the opportunity to keep the shop as my part of the deal and then so I had to move because the city was needed that property they were racing me out and so I uh, looked all around for I had 90 day escrow so I had 90 days to find a place to to buy and to move well I used up about 60 days and I couldn't find anything I went all over LA from one end of one end of LA to the other all the way to Ventura and, and all around, and I couldn't find anything that I could afford the, with what money I had to put down on a piece of property. And so uh, I was on the phone with a friend of mine, and he says, hey, he says, I know uh, there's this, uh, friends of mine that uh, that are related to these people that own this property up there in Mojave area. And uh, that's where you moved to. Gene, guess what? We're up against the clock. But what I would like to do, I would love to invite you back on the show next week, the same time, same bat channel, and let's let's pick up where we left off and let's do part two. Are you up for that? Okay. Sure. That sounds good. Gene, I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio and Car. Sorry we're up against the clock, but that's the way it works. You know, time goes by. But thank you very much. We appreciate it. I want to thank my special guest, Gene Winfield, the legendary king of customs, custom cars. Hey, you tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network. Don't forget to follow us on our social media. Check out our website. In the meantime, we'll see you guys at some of the car shows. Stay safe. Drive carefully. Love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.